In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we're going to have um, just a, a brief um, talk about uh, apologetics training. And what I mean by this, of course, apologetics is, the word apology means defense. So when we speak about apologetics, apologetics is about defending our faith in the face of questions, criticism, how is it that we explain what it is that we believe, and how do we respond to the opposition, right? How do we respond to the opposing arguments? Because a lot of times people will come and challenge um, what is it that we believe and say that it doesn't make any sense or, um, you know, whatever the case might be. So this is kind of a general way of thinking, um, and it can be applied not just to the faith necessarily, but really to anything that we believe, um, and how is it that we can respond to people who are in disagreement, okay? So the, the first thing is to challenge the premises, right? The premises, challenge the premises. So like, for instance, when, when someone is coming um, to make an argument against us, um, don't assume that the arguments are rooted in intellectual grounds, meaning they, they might have made false assumptions, right, about what we believe. For instance, when you listen to someone who's speaking negatively about Christianity, um, almost always they don't understand Christianity. They really don't understand what it is. They look at one specific thing that maybe doesn't make sense to them, and they say, look, this is what God is teaching. He is teaching that we kill our enemies. Why? Well, because in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites to kill their enemies, right? So that means that in their mind, someone who's just going to open up the Bible and read whatever it is they're going to read, they conclude that this is what God is teaching Christians, right? So, of course, those anyone who is Christian knows that that's not what, like, we, we don't apply that in that way or in that way of thinking, right? So we have to first, like, expose what the false assumptions and understandings are of anyone who's coming to us and um, trying to argue against our point of view. Here's another example. The number one reason that people do not believe in God or that people who did believe in God stopped believing is because they believe that if God were real and he were loving, then he wouldn't allow evil in the world. And that he is actually the source of evil in the sense that he is the one who created evil. And they think of the world as a place where God is in control of everything. Everything. God is in control. So if God is in controlling everything, then why is it that evil exists? Because that would mean that God created evil. That means that God could stop evil uh, at any time in any way, right? And so the reason that a person might not believe in God is not because, um, you know, of theological issues necessarily, but it could be because they experienced some great suffering in their life, something that was done to them or something they experienced, and they said, I cannot believe in a God who would allow such a thing to happen to someone, so therefore God must not exist, right? So the assumption here is that God is the creator of evil, okay? So how can we, you know, like understand this? So like the way they might say is, you say God is the creator of everything, okay, yeah, because we say he is the creator of everything. Evil is something, therefore God is the creator of evil, therefore not worthy of my worship. This might be the argument that a person would use um, to show that I should not worship a God and submit to a God who creates evil, okay? But what is the wrong assumption here? Out of, out of these things that said, what is the wrong assumption? Evil is something. What does that mean that evil is something? Does it mean that God created evil, or does it mean that evil is the absence of good? You know, like when you say darkness, what is darkness? Darkness is not something. 
You don't create darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So when there is no light, it is dark, right? So it's not that evil is a thing that God made, right? Evil is the absence of God. Evil is the absence of God. So when God is rejected, there is his absence, right? Like when Adam and Eve rejected God, then what came about was evil. It's not that God created evil. It is that when we reject God, evil happens, right? So, and then, of course, another, um, you know, false assumption with this, perhaps, is that there is no free will, right? We know that we have free will, and that's why God allows us to be able to choose to reject him, right? If there were no free will at all, right, then we would be required to obey him, right? But who wants to live in a world where we are robots, right? So God created us to not be robots, to not be programs that are written to, to respond a certain way. We have the ability to choose, but the moment you give us the ability to choose, the moment you allow us to reject God, and then that when we reject God, then evil happens, okay? So, so it is not that God is the creator of evil, right? Human beings create evil in a sense or do evil actions when they choose to reject God who created good, because God is the creator of everything that was good. And in the six days of creation, it's every time God created something, he said what? It was good. And when he created human beings, he said it's very good. Right? So everything God made was good. But the result, what is it that the human beings did with all of that goodness? That's a different question. When you actually look at the story of Jonah, for instance, you know, in the story of Jonah, when God commands the storm in order to to, to have a storm on the ship that Jonah was sailing in, the storm obeyed. I mean, he said, okay, there's a storm. When God commanded the fish to swallow Jonah, the fish obeyed, right? The only person actually in the story of Jonah who was not obeying was Jonah himself, the human being. Like Jonah had the capability to reject God and to disobey God, whereas the nature, the animals, everything else, they'd had no free will. Whatever it is God commanded to them to do, they did perfectly, right? Even though it was against their nature. It was against the nature of a, of a fish, to swallow a human being and not digest him, right? That's not within the nature of an animal, right? But God made it to be so. Whereas a human being, how many times does God tell us what is it that we should do and we reject? So that is, that is, that is the source of evil. Um, the second point is to reverse the burden of proof, meaning people will come to us and, and ask us to prove what is it that we believe. And they say, unless you prove to me, right, what it is that you believe, then I will not believe. Right? And they put the burden of proof on us. And then we try to figure out, how can I prove to a person that God exists? Okay, um, But maybe we can reverse that. We say, you prove to me that God doesn't exist. How do you know? This is especially true of people who, who claim to be atheists. You know, you know the difference between an atheist and an agnostic person? What is an agnostic and what is an atheist? What does atheist mean? They don't believe God exists. They're like sure that there is no God, an atheist. What is an agnostic? An agnostic means we don't know, right? Like even the, the root words, right? The theist or, or theo is God. So atheist is against God, not God. So there is no God. Whereas agnostic, the root word agnostic comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. So agnostic means no knowledge, meaning we don't know. Actually, to say that you're agnostic is a very honest and reasonable uh, stance. It's just like, okay, maybe I don't have 
enough proof to say that I believe in a God, but at the same time, I can't at the same time say, well, I'm definitely sure there isn't one, right? Because how can you prove a negative? How can you prove that there definitely isn't a God? Have you, have you explored the whole universe? Do you know everything about everything for you to say for sure that there is no God? No, maybe you've never experienced him. Maybe you haven't observed him in the ways you've tried to observe him. Maybe there's something different you could do, right? Just like, for instance, has any of us ever seen an atom? We haven't seen it, but maybe there are tools that exist that would allow us to see it, right, if we were to use the tools. But you have to use the tools to see something that is otherwise invisible, okay? So reversing the burden of proof means asking them for answers to life's essential questions. So like when, when people are, 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 are asking us like about the meaning of life, um, why are we here? How did everything come to be, right? Uh, and, and we are giving our, our viewpoint as Christians, right? Reverse the burden of proof and say, okay, you tell me then, how is it that you think everything came to be? How is it that all this complexity came to be if it was without design, right? If, if nobody was designing or creating. And the answers must be coherent and must correspond to reality because um, a lot of times people will come with answers that are illogical, right, or contradictory. So then it is on the other person to be the one who is having to prove their stance. You know, a lot of times we are put into a corner and we feel like, well, we are put in a difficult position because we're having to somehow prove God's existence. And you can't prove God's existence. You can provide evidence for God's existence, but you can't prove, right? And, and the thing with proving is there's a lot of things that we do in our life without having full proof. Like when I get in my car and I drive to go to church, can you prove to me that you're not going to have an accident? Can you prove to me that you're actually going to reach your destination? When you get on a plane, right, that's supposed to go to, like, Los Angeles, can you prove to me that the plane is actually going to go there? How are you going to prove that? I trust that it will. I have good reason to trust. I trust the airport. I trust the FAA. I trust the pilot. I trust all kinds of people. I trust the system that exists that because I paid for a ticket that's going to go to Los Angeles, that the plane is going to end up in Los Angeles. I also trust my past experience. Every other time I've flown on a plane, right, it's gone where they said it was going to go. So I have a good sense that the plane is going to go where it is, but I can't prove it to you. No, there is no amount of evidence that's going to equate to a proof, right? There are planes that have crashed. There are planes that the pilot, you know, maybe went to the wrong city. Um, there are planes that are hijacked and don't go to where they're supposed to go, right? There's no proof, right? But I have good evidence to show. So, so when someone is asking us to prove the existence of God, well, actually, proof is a very strong and, and inappropriate way of talking about faith, right? And it's, it's, it's not something, actually, we can talk about in anything. Very few things. You talk about proofs when you talk about mathematics, things that are purely logical, right? But you talk about the real world, you can't prove anything in the real world. In the real world, things happen um, that are unexpected, unpredictable. There is evidence, Right? But to say that there is hard proof for, for many, many things that we do in our daily life, no, there isn't proof. But reverse it. Be like, okay, you show me why is it that your stance is the true is the truth and, and, um, and, instead of mine. Um, the atheist is also making a claim to knowledge just as the theist is. Right, So just as we are saying we believe in the existence of God, the atheist is saying we believe there is no God. So if you are making a claim to know that there is no God, prove it to me. And there is no proof. An atheist can never prove that God doesn't exist. Actually, it's easier to prove that God does exist than God doesn't exist. Because to prove a negative is impossible. 
You know, like if I asked you, prove to me that there exists no purple rabbits with human legs. Well, what can you say? You can say, well, I've never seen one. I can ask people around and they can say, I've never seen one. But what if there exists one hidden in some cave somewhere that no human being has ever seen? Can you prove for a fact that it, it doesn't exist? No, you can just say, I haven't seen one, right? So that's why I'm saying to be an atheist, right? You are saying, I have complete knowledge of the universe, complete knowledge of all creation, and I have concluded that there is no God. And of course, no one can do that. That's why I'm saying being an agnostic is a much more reasonable stance than being an atheist. If you make a claim to know something, you should be able to justify that claim when challenged, right? So if the atheist is saying, I believe there is no God, it's like, prove it to me, right? And they will not be able to prove. Uh, watch for self-refuting statements. Self-refuting statements are statements that contradict themselves. What are some examples of this, okay? So one of the things that a lot of people proclaim is called um, relative truth. Relative truth means there isn't any absolute truth or absolute right and wrong, but everything is uh, according to our perception. Everything is relative according to our, our, our viewpoint, okay? So to say there is no truth, right, no absolute truth, um, how can we respond to that? Okay, well, um, are you claiming that that statement is true? There is no truth? Right? Like you are saying there is no truth. Is that a true statement or not? Um, you can't know anything for sure. Okay, so if you can't know anything for sure, then how is it that you know the argument that you're telling me? Um, everything is relative. Well, even your comment then is relative. So how can you be speaking? Like a person who is speaking in these relative terms is not actually able to make any claim to knowledge at all. They're not, not, they're not able to express anything at all because their arguments are self-contradictory right? They're saying you should not judge, okay? Meaning uh, we should not judge their, their beliefs. Well, they're judging our beliefs, and they're also making judgments, right? Talking about God is meaningless, right? If talking about God is meaningless, well, they are also talking about God, right? And if it has no meaning, then why are they even trying to talk about it? Um, so, so all of these kinds of statements, right, these self-refuting statements, are things that if we listen closely, we will find that people are making all the time. Um, and so, again, it, it causes the, the argument to crumble, right, when, whenever people are making such statements. Um, the fourth point is there are answers out there. You know, a lot of times people, when they come with questions, they think, oh, you know what, this question that I have, it absolutely destroys the argument of the other side, right? Um, thinking that because I don't know the answer is the equivalent of there is no answer. Right? The equivalent of there is no answer. Like if somebody looks in the Bible and they find something that looks like an apparent contradiction and they say, see, over here it says this and over here it says this, the opposite. And they, s they claim that because of that, there is now proof that the Bible is flawed and the Bible could not be inspired by, the, by God because it has mistakes and, and flaws and errors in it. Well, just because you don't understand the reason why and how we understand the differences between these two texts, for instance, doesn't mean that there isn't an answer, right? It just means that you don't know the answer. Don't confuse your lack of having the answer with there not being an answer. Um, sometimes when we are asked a question that we don't know the answer to, it gets us to be thinking about it, right? But, but sometimes because the person asking the question is asking the question in the context of causing us to want to doubt what we believe, you're like, so how can you explain such and such? And then maybe if we don't know the answer, we start thinking about it and we like start to get confused.
right? Why? How is it that we believe this? It seems like maybe this is wrong. But the idea that any any question that has come up already has been dealt with. Already, there's already an answer for it. The, the issue is not, um, you know, that there is no answer. The issue is maybe I don't know the answer and I should go and read and I can go and ask and see what is the answer to this question. Here are some things that we should have an answer for. Do we believe in evolution, right? How do we understand evolution and how it, how, how it um, lines up with creationism, right? What of it we believe, what of it we reject? What about those who never heard of Christ, all right? Are they going to be saved? Are they going to go to heaven? What is the answer? Why do I have to go to church? What is the purpose of going to church? Can a person be saved without going to church? Why would a good God allow evil to exist? Like we mentioned before, right? Did God create evil? Does God really exist, right? How do we answer? Why is God hidden from us, right? He is spiritual. We don't see him. He is not physical. How do we interact and perceive him? Are Christianity and science compatible, right? Science would have you would claim that in a lot of ways it debunks religion. It debunks Christianity. How do, we, how do we prove otherwise? How do we see it otherwise? Don't we all worship the same God, right? You know, in Hinduism, they have this famous analogy of the elephant. Have any of you heard of it? Um, so in Hinduism, uh, everything is relative, and there are many, many paths to the truth, right, in Hinduism. And they make this analogy of, like, blind men that are coming and touching an elephant, Right? And so one person is touching the elephant from the trunk. And when they say, what is it that I'm, exp that I'm perceiving? It's like, oh, the elephant has, is like long and thin like a hose. Another person is touching it from the tail. It's like, no, the elephant is actually thin and slender. Another one touches it from the side. Say, no, the, the elephant is like a wall, very, very big, right? And everyone who's coming and touching the elephant in a different way has a different conclusion of what the elephant is. And so according to Hindu kind of thinking, the reason that all these religions exist is because we are all like experiencing different parts of the elephant, right? It's all true, right? But we all have different experiences of the fullness of the truth. Of course, we reject that because it's actually uh, the different religions contradict each other, right? It's not that they, they simply supplement one another or complement one another. They actually contradict each other. You can't have, you can't have something and its opposite at the same time, right? Which is why all these religions can't coexist and all be true at the same time. So don't we worship the same God? No, we don't worship the same God. Did Christ ever claim to be God? Some people will say that Christ never claimed to be God. He called himself the Son of God, right? Did he ever come out and say, I am God, right? And then how do we answer that question? Did the resurrection really happen? What proofs do we have? Like there's a very good book um, by Lee Strobel called The Case for the Resurrection. And he speaks about all the um, all the, the scientific evidence showing that r the resurrection actually did happen. Um, is the Bible really inspired by the Holy Spirit? How do we know that? What does it mean? Who created God? Right? Maybe strange question. Right? By definition, God is uncreated. What about all the atrocities in the name of Christ? All the people who have killed other people in the name of Christ. How does that fit into our belief? Do we believe in the Big Bang? Right? Um, as far as creationism. All of these are questions that people might ask us. And if we don't know the answer to these questions, how is it that we are going to defend our faith? You know, sometimes we spend the majority of our time with people who believe what I already believe, and that's why these questions never come up. Right? They don't come up because maybe we don't ask each other these questions because we're believers. And so we don't spend a lot of time thinking about these things. 
But if we don't spend time thinking about them, if we don't go find the answers to them, then when somebody else from the outside comes and asks us, we won't know what to say. We won't know how to respond, right? So it's important for us to um, know the answers, be familiar with them, so that we can respond to anyone. Because if we don't know the answers, then someone can come and say, well, why are you a Christian then? Like, if you don't know any of this, why do you believe in the resurrection? Why do you, you know, go to church? Why do you do this? If you don't know the answers, then you have to question, why is it that I'm even choosing to live in the way that I do if I don't really know why? There is a nice uh, book called Timeless Truths and Truthless Times. It's, it's more of like um, a series of questions, like difficult questions and answers um, by George Basilius. Um, you can find it online. I believe it's on sale on Amazon as well. Um, and if you're interested in reading more about the answer to the, some of these questions and a lot more, um, you can find that book there. Um, the fifth is don't face the challenge alone. Engage with fellow believers and take advantage of available resources. So when it comes time, when somebody comes, for instance, and asks uh, a question, maybe I am not equipped in that moment to give a comprehensive answer. Maybe there's a lot of things that I would leave out if I tried to answer, or I don't have enough time to answer, or I don't know really what is the best answer. But I can find resources, or I can find people that have the answers. You know, right now, online, you can find r resources to answer every question. One of the great resources that we have, um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with it, it's the Q&A database that's on the diocese website. It's suscops.org slash Q ampersand A, Q and A. And there you can find hundreds of questions that have been asked by actual people and the response to each one. And so the moment that we feel stumped by a question and we don't know the answer, we can go and look it up and say, oh, this is what it is. This is how I, this is what we believe. So don't feel like you have to figure it out on your own or do the research on your own. Actually, sometimes when we do research on our own, we might come to the wrong conclusion because we don't have all the information if we're not experts in this topic. So, so Go and look, find the resources that already exist in the Coptic Church by people who have already looked at this, people who already understand this maybe better than us. Or go and talk to people or clergy or servants, people who, um, again, have already studied some of this and know what the answers are so that we don't feel like we, we are alone. So um, another resource here on the diocese website is under the literature, resources literature, um, apologetics. Okay, there's a lot of information specific specifically about apologetics. These are some other websites that have good information um, about apologetics. <coughs> major and the majors. What does that mean? It means don't be sidetracked or distracted by very peripheral minor details, right? Because you know how like when, when Christ said, do not throw your pearls before swine? What does it mean, do not throw your pearls before swine? Meaning, don't just, don't waste what is precious. Um, don't, don't waste what is precious on those who are not appreciating it. Meaning, if there is someone who is coming, just because they want to argue, right? Not, they don't really want to know the truth. They're just trying to argue. They, 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 they want to give us a hard time. They, they want to somehow prove us wrong by any means. They're not even listening to our arguments. We don't have to continue that argument. We don't have to continue uh, fighting with them to try to prove something, especially when it is a very, very small detail, right? Focus on the central themes, right? And why, why it's important. You know, even when a person studies something in university, right, to get a major, they start out with the basics, 
right? The very basic things. And once you've graduated from the basic things, then you start getting into the more difficult and complicated things, right? So a person who doesn't know anything about Christianity, that doesn't even understand the basics, right? It's going to be very difficult to give them a good, comprehensive answer to the, like the finer points with something when they don't even know the big basics, right? So try to focus the majority of the talk to the major themes of Christianity, like the creation, the fall, sin, the process of salvation, eternity, like the major things, the reason why we believe, the reason why we care so much about our faith and the resurrection is because it is our salvation from eternal death. That is the main focus. All of the, the details um, that are important but are not necessarily important to someone who is coming on day one, right, trying to learn about the faith, we don't have to get so involved in that. And if we find that the, the questions are kind of diverting to that, we can try to redirect. I'll give you an example. Like there was one time a convert who came to the church, and their uh, primary focus was wanting to learn Coptic, okay? And they wanted to put so much effort into learning Coptic, like to learn it fluently like a language and know how to pronounce it perfectly and know how to speak in Coptic and all this because they felt like this was an important language to learn. I said, okay, but right now the thing maybe you should be focusing on is establishing a prayer life um, or reading the Bible or reading some of the church fathers or being consistent and attending the church. Like those are the things from the beginning that you should focus on, um, learning how to fast. Learning Coptic, right, is good, but maybe that's a bit advanced now for you at the very beginning, right? Focus on the things that are important. Sometimes people are interested in Christianity not so much as a faith, but as a novelty, right? Like, like, like how people would visit churches like museums. You know, in Europe, most of the churches have become museums. Uh, they're very old, they have beautiful architecture and iconography, and people will go visit the churches and just look at them. It's like, wow, this is such a beautiful building. Let's look at this, let's look at that. And instead of the church being a place of salvation where people are going to pray, right, and actually using it for the purpose it was built, they're using it as, oh, this is nice architecture, right? So sometimes when people come to Christianity, they're, they're, they're fixated on a certain thing, and they're not really seeing the bigger picture, which is this is for your sal salvation and eternal life. They're like, oh, well, this is interesting. Oh, I like reading about this. I like learning about this. Okay, great. Read and learn and do all that. But sometimes that can be a distraction, right? It can be a distraction. If you already are, are, are focusing on your spirituality, and then on top of that you want to read and learn, great. But don't jump to, let me just become an encyclopedia of knowledge and while I don't have the very basics down yet, right? Because that is going to be harmful for you. Um, we should distinguish between the major themes of the Bible and its less primary teachings. I'll give you another example. Like a lot of times converts coming from Protestantism, for instance, they have trouble with the idea of the intercession of the saints. Um, they believe that intercession of the saints is almost like worshiping the saints, and we don't need to have their intercession. Why can't I only pray to Christ uh, alone and so on? And so I tell them, okay, this is not central. Like you don't have to ask for the intercession of the saints to go to heaven, right? If you're struggling with the idea of intercession of the saints, it's okay. Maybe over time you will understand it more and understand why is it that we do it and the justification for it. But if you don't understand it yet, that is not going to hinder you from being baptized, yeah, if you don't believe in the Trinity, that's, a, that's something that will hinder you from being baptized. If you don't believe that salvation was through the blood of Christ, that will hinder you. If you believe salvation was by works, that will hinder you. 
right? There are core things about Christianity that will hinder you, right? But if you don't believe in intercession of the saints, okay. If you don't know all the saints in the Synaxarian, okay. That's, that's not going to hinder you from your salvation. It's important, and it can help you and enrich your Christian life, but it is not something that if you don't accept it from day one, then you are going to, you know, you're, 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 that you can't become Christian, right? You can't become Orthodox. So focusing on what is important, right, and, 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 and not being sidetracked. Don't answer the question. What does that mean? Every question has a questioner. Right. Meaning the reason that a person is asking a question is typically rooted in something that's happened in their life. Right. Like a person might be talking about, you know, why, you know, what is it that we believe about non-Christians going to heaven? And they're very fixated on this question. And it sounds like a theological question, you know, about what is it the orthodox stance is on people who are not baptized going to heaven. This is what we believe. One, two, three, four, five. But actually, what is the real question? The real question is, you know, my father or my mother or my grandmother died without having been baptized in the Orthodox Church. Where are they now? Like maybe that's not the way it's phrased. Maybe that's not the, the way that they're asking the question. But that's the motivation for the question. So sometimes if we listen carefully, we will find that the question that is being asked is actually not what they want an answer for. And when we begin to understand the person and where they're coming from, why is it they're asking this question? We can bin begin to address the core issue of what is it that they want to know. And, and how does this fit in to the goodness of God? You know, going back again, why, why, why did God create evil? Well, again, it sounds like a theological question. But maybe it's, no, uh, it is this, like, I, I, I don't believe in God because of all the suffering I experience in my life. So it's more a question of healing. It's more a question of satisfying their understanding of the goodness of God in, in order for them to accept and believe rather than to ask a series of questions. Okay. We can also restate the question. Let me make sure I understand. So when we hear the question, repeat it again. Make sure to, to understand what is the question that they're asking. This helps you not read your own question into the question. Right? Because sometimes what we do is we like to answer the things that we know the answers to. You know, we've all done this. Like someone asks us a question, we're not exactly sure of the answer. So we answer a question similar to it that's not really addressing what the person wants to know. So the more we spend time to really understand the question and what is it they want to know, um, this, this will be helpful. Um, avoid faith-based answers. What does it mean? So again, as, as Christians, we speak about faith. And we, we have faith, and, and we, can, we can speak about how having faith moves mountains, for instance. But a person who is not a Christian, are not, they are not going to accept answers that are based on faith only, right? Kind of like uh, when St. Paul came to preach to the Gentiles, you know, he didn't speak to them about prophecies, right? Because the Gentiles don't care about prophecies. They don't have the Old Testament. They didn't have any of the prophets. They don't have any connection to that history in order for them to believe. So he spoke to them actually in, in terms that are very apologetic like this, philosophical, right? But to the Jewish people, he spoke all about prophecies. He spoke about like in the book of Hebrews, he spoke about, he spoke about Abraham, he spoke about Moses, he spoke about all these people in the past because the, the Jewish people had a connection to them and so he could build on that and, and help them to believe, okay? So again, when we're depending on who we're speaking to, 
we have to understand the the context and what you know what language we should use and what arguments we should use saint paul said to the jew i became a jew and to the gentile i became a gentile that by all means i might save some right like the way he dealt with each person was different for the purpose of their salvation okay but we also have to show that faith is reasonable right faith is reasonable faith many people think that faith is just blind delusion like we are b believing in random imaginary creatures um, that there's no basis of them in reality and we have just decided to believe in such imaginary creatures and that makes us to be illogical people which is why a lot of times people see Christians are be as being illogical right and they're always very surprised that very educated people with PhDs right that work in science fields could even be Christian like how can you reconcile like that you're a scientist but at the same time you're a believer and that's because there is reason in faith. It is not blind, right? It is not blind faith. So an explanation, understanding of how faith connects to reason is also very important. And then finally, connecting the truth with life, meaning the truth of Christianity is directly applicable to our daily life and to our eternal future. It is not just a theolo theo theoretical study where we go to a building, the church, one day a week, and we say certain words because those words are supposedly gonna take us to a certain place that we wanna go, right? It is, it is a daily life that we are living in our faith, right? And we are applying it on a daily basis. It is not just an academic study in the mind. It is a, a something applicable, something that we live with. If we don't apply the truth to our relationship with God and others, what's the point, right? There is no test in heaven that we're going to answer some multiple choice questions and then based on that we're going to be admitted right it's a it's a it's a life that we choose to live um in isaiah 2 3 it says many people shall come and say come and let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths right this is the two elements like we learn he teaches us so we are filled with the knowledge of god but the purpose of being filled with the knowledge is that we walk his paths you know, it'd be kind of like when you when you open up like Google Maps, right? Because you want to go somewhere. Nobody ups, opens Google Maps just to memorize the map. Like, you know, have, have anyone ever done that? Like, you just open up Google Map because you want to just study the map and you want to commit it to memory and you want to know where all the roads are just to keep it in your head. No, you probably not, right? Um, you open up Google Maps because you want to go somewhere and you're like, this is going to tell me how to get there. So you open it to take an action to do something. The same is true with the Bible. Like we open it to read it, not just so that I can keep it in my head, but so that I can apply it um, and use it. So this is very briefly some um, kind of points to keep in mind when it comes to apologetics, coming to talk to people about our faith. Does anyone have any questions? Okay, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing in everything that we do. Teach us your ways, O God, and help us to walk in your paths. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.